Hello and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. I'm Nick Castell, a reporter and producer with IdeaStream. It's April 21st and you are tuned in to a virtual City Club forum. There is no public comment at Cleveland City Council's regular meetings. And that's been a source of frustration for those who want to tell their representatives what they think about city business. In fact, Cleveland City Council has never routinely held a space for public comment in its regular meetings, with the exception of a brief time in the 1920s and 30s, when the city was under a city manager form of government without an elected mayor. Cleveland is unusual. Columbus, Akron, and Youngstown all permit residents to, to provide live public comment at their city council meetings. Cuyahoga County Council also permits public comment. But we might be on the cusp of change. Clevelanders for Public Comment has put together a coalition of organizations, elected leaders, candidates, and residents across Cleveland's 17 wards. They've done homework, drafted an ordinance, and now they're urging city council to make public comment a reality this year. Here to talk about that work, the proposed ordinance, and the importance of public comment are Bashir Jones, Cleveland City Councilman for Ward 7, Charles Slife, Cleveland City Councilman for Ward 17, and Jessica Trevisano, a resident of Ward 3 and the author of the proposed public comment ordinance. Uh, we're going to do things a little bit differently today. It is uh, an experiment today. The format uh, will be as follows. We'll talk here for the first 30 minutes, and then we will open the floor for a 30-minute mock public comment demonstration led by Jessica Trevisano. Those speaking today have all signed up in advance, and for today's experiment, we will not be featuring spontaneous signups. So with that, I'm happy to get started with this conversation. And um, Jessica, I wanted to go to you first here and ask, uh, could you explain uh, this proposal, the legislation that, that you have put together and hope to see introduced at city council? If it's passed as written, how would public comment work at city council's meetings? Sure, happy to share and uh, thank you all for having me and for participating in the City Club Forum today. Um, the proposal that has been drafted is really based on best practices pulled from other cities, you know, both in Ohio and around the country. Um, the way that public comment would work um, is at city council meetings, there would be a 30 minute public comment session at the beginning of each council meeting. Individuals would have up to three minutes to, uh, to share a comment. Uh, the comments would be limited to matters that concern local government. So it wouldn't be on just anything. It has to be something that uh, relates to the you know, legislative, administrative, or public affairs of the city of Cleveland. Uh, and individuals would uh, have to sign up to make a comment ahead of time. So they could sign up up to a week in advance using a form that's available uh, both online and in person, and the form would also be available in English and in Spanish, um, stating you know, their name and what the comment would be about. Um, so that's at city council meetings. Uh, we also have provided for a specific process for public comment at committee meetings. It's super similar. Uh, you'd have to sign up ahead of time. You would get up to three minutes uh, for your comment, uh, but then you'd only be, you'd be limited to items that are on the agenda for the committee. So a little bit more limited for committee meetings. And I do want to get to the issue of committee meetings in just a second. Um, I do want to address the news of the week, though, as far as public comment goes. And uh, Councilman Bashir Jones, 
you, uh, your colleague, Councilman Slife here, and a number of others on City Council have uh, come out in favor of this proposal. Clevelanders for Public Comment now says it has support from a majority of City Council's members. Uh, so what happens next? I mean, what stands between uh, today and getting this actually, uh, making this a reality on City Council? Thank you so much. Um, I'm so happy to be here. Uh, you know, Jessica is just phenomenal. And let's be totally honest that the power is not in the people, the power is the people. You know, for the past couple of years, we've been working on this. Many council members, some few council members rather, have been working on this in the inside. Um, and we just could not get a majority support. Um, this is a serious issue, but our city will never grow until everyone feels that they are a part of its growth, that everyone has something to say about its growth. So with this amazing group organizing on the ground and putting pressure where it needs to be, now you have members who, um, who were once silent, now, now coming out and, 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 and wanting to show that they are in support. So I'm, I'm happy about that. So uh, from here, it's about what is the next step? Um, and I'm urging every member of our community to continue to hold us accountable. You know, people can say whatever they wanna say in the wave of emotion, but when it's time to vote, uh, that's, that's when you see uh, people put their words into action. Ed, do you expect to introduce or, or have legislation introduced soon uh, to, to put this question before council now that it seems like you might have majority support? Without a doubt, without a doubt, I believe that that's the next step. I, I think the, the question that's being had right now is uh, do we go the policy route where we make this a policy or is this something that has to be voted on? Now, if it is, uh, if we do go the policy route, then we would have to, it would have to go in front of um, council leadership. It would have to go in front of a specific committee um, that's led by uh, a specific person that will have to decide um, if it moves forward. So I think that's the internal conversation right now. And maybe there's, there's others that Councilman Slife can speak on, but I believe that the, we have the momentum to make it happen, but we have to keep pushing. And I think you're referring there to, I, I believe Council President Kelly has said that, uh, you know, he's not opposed to the idea of public comment. Uh, his suggestion that I think he sent to Clevelanders for public comment in a letter was uh, have a policy group uh, look at this idea, come up with a proposal that would go to the rules and operations committees. And then out of that process, uh, you know, you would have some sort of final result that might be voted on. Uh, Councilman Slife, is that the way you expect to see this, this process play out? You know, I think uh, I think we're not able to hear you for some reason. Um, and maybe while you get that, uh, oh, that? I, you're back my on. Com my computer does this fun thing where it changes microphones without me telling it to. Uh, it's been a fun pandemic for me, definitely. <laughs> um, but but thank you, thank you for putting this together. Uh, thank you to uh, Jess and everybody at Clevelanders for public comment. Um, it's it, this is an incredibly broad coalition. Um, 
that you know, they have a website, you can see different activists and labor groups and, and people from all throughout Cleveland who have come together, um, you know, behind this idea because there's, there's really unanimity be, behind that this is the best practice of good government. You know, I've, I've lived in Cleveland for just about 10 years, but I've lived also in three other states. And, and I always thought public comment was uh, somewhat of a requirement and was surprised to find out we didn't have it um, you know, at, at Cleveland City Council meetings. But to your question about whether it's a policy or whether it's legislation, uh, I, I think I speak for myself, Councilman Jones, the other co-sponsors of this proposed legislation in, in, you know, that there's real value to it being codified law within the city of Cleveland. You know, um, uh, I will not be on city council forever. Uh, Councilman Jones will not be on council or council forever. You know, we, we all, life goes on without us. And I think by enacting a law, it, 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 really, really puts the idea, carves it into stone. It makes it permanent. It ensures that moving forward into subsequent decades that this will be understood as, as a, a fundamental right uh, of Clevelanders to petition their government. And it, by making it a policy, uh, arguably you are subjecting it to the whims of, of you know, that day and that age and, and, and certain individuals uh, that we uh, can't anticipate might come down the pike. Well, you know, Councilman Slife, I wanted to ask you a follow up on, on just the idea of having public comment at the regular meetings. You know, mm -hmm. for those who uh, may not be familiar with city council meetings or for those who are, uh, the meat of the legislation is really discussed in, in committee meetings. That's where you have, you know, people from the administration come to the table. They, they, you know, answer lots of questions from council members, or at least they're posed lots of questions from council members. Um, you know, when you get to the floor of city council, uh, most of this stuff is almost a foregone conclusion. I mean, it almost all passes and, and largely unanimously. Uh, what's the value of having public comment uh, at that point in the process? You're correct, Nick. And in, in many ways, um, the, the, the city council meeting on typically on Monday nights when, uh, you know, in a non-pandemic world uh, is, is a lot of reading, even just reading items into the official city record. The, and the, the, the value of public comment at the city council meeting itself is just that. It is the public city, city record. You can go on the website and read the minutes of a meeting. And by having a public comment period within the larger city council meeting, it ensures that residents' voices are getting a full public recognition. And it also ensures that uh, voices are being heard widely, not just amongst the council members, but all those in attendance, including, you know, the administrative, the executive branch of the government, you know, the, uh, the mayor and, and uh, his or her cabinet. Uh, our system as it exists, you know, our, our council members are incredibly engaged with residents, arguably more so than in many major cities. And, and there's a lot of value in that. But that, that setup, a downside of it is that it's somewhat passive. You know, it relies, if you're a resident, on, uh, you know, so I guess trusting that if you reach out to your representative, that they're going to convey the message widely and that that message is not only going to be heard, but that it's going to be conveyed correctly. And, and I think by having public comment at the council meetings, it's a much more active process for the residents. It shows them that they're being heard. And at, at, at there, there's a fundamental desire for residents to really want to know that they're being heard. Jessica Trevisano, I wanna go back to you um, and, and ask about uh, the time limit here, 30 minutes. 
is that enough time? You know, I, I know that I have covered some public meetings in other jurisdictions where when it's a really hot issue, you might have 20 people or more showing up and it means you're going to have an hour of public comment. Uh, you know, 30 minutes might handle a slow day, but what about uh, one where everybody has something to say? Sure. I think that's a good question. Um, the 30 minute mark kind of came from looking at those best practices that I talked about from other communities. Uh, but we've also written into the legislation that council can decide at any given council meeting to extend the public comment period to account for those, you know, specific, you know, 20 people have signed up and all, you know, have a comment that they want to share. Uh, we've also set it up. So if somebody signs up for one meeting and you don't you know, council doesn't get to them due to the lapse of the time, they get first priority at the next council meeting. Um, so we've tried to really make it as fair as possible while still working within the constraints of making sure that we have council meetings um, that, you know, run fairly efficiently. Well, Jessica, what do you think is the, the outcome you want to see here? I mean, what do you think that public comment, having a public comment session uh, achieves in, in a, you know, a meeting of city council? I think public comment is, you know, the goal in and of itself, you know, having a public comment um, period just indicates to residents uh, and workers and business owners and all of the stakeholders that make Cleveland a great place that there is, you know, a place for them to be heard. Uh, currently, if you want to have some sort of stance, you want to take to Twitter, you uh, maybe try to call your council person, you sort of, you know, try to figure out a way to find a forum uh, because there isn't one. Uh, so I think by creating that forum, it will just um, create more investment by residents and stakeholders in the city of Cleveland in their local government, and hopefully also have our local government with a higher stake and investment in the residents and stakeholders of the city. Councilman Jones, uh, do, do you think that, uh, public comment would make a difference. If you hear people speaking at a microphone on your Monday night meeting, uh, do you think that might change your mind about something? I mean, how, how would that influence you as a, as a local legislator? A couple of things, Nick, I, I wanna to touch on. Um, number one, any elected official who is opposed to what Jessica and many others have been talking about just doesn't want to hear the voice of the people. It, it's just really simple. 30 minutes, 30 minutes is, re is real simple. 30 minutes is not a long time. And the problem is that when you speak to elected officials who have a problem with this, um, it's really concerning. You know, ever since I came into council, uh, we've been fighting for this. And the response has been, well, we don't want things to get out of hand. And the reality is most people who dedicate their time to come to city council are not people who are coming to cause quote unquote problems. But if it's a problem to hear the voice of the people, that's a problem in itself. That's a problem in itself. Another thing that you brought up, you're correct. At the city council meeting, things have already been voted on. Things have already been voted on, but you have a captive audience there. I mean, I think that's the most important thing. We have the mayors and his administration, you have all of city council usually, that's a captive audience. Um, and what the opponents will say, well, just come to the committee meetings, which are nine o'clock in the morning, 10 o'clock in the morning. People who have to work don't really have time to take away uh, to come to the committee, but that is where you can truly 
sway a vote if that's where you if that's if that's your goal. So it's really about the intention of the uh, of the person that wants to comment. But we, Dr. King said, rioting is the language of the unheard. We can't. We have to be proactive. And the way that we are proactive is by giving every individual a voice and an opportunity to express their frustration. People are frustrated with me sometimes, and sometimes it might be rightfully so. Everyone has a right to express themselves. Um, everyone has a right to protest. Everyone has a, we have, that's what will make a healthy city. That's what will make us a, a, a city that continues to grow and be successful. But right now, we, we, you can't solve 21st century problems in an 18th century way. This is really important. Uh, you referred to there being resistance, opposition. Could you describe that? I mean, is, is uh, we have a majority of Cleveland City Council members uh, reportedly now signing we'll on to this idea. We'll is see, there man. is there opposition? Of course, <laughs> of course, there's opposition. Uh, anyone who says it's not is is, is not being truthful. Uh, there's been opposition for the past four years around this topic, and but the difference now is that we have an amazing group of people on the ground organizing, putting pressure on people to uh, some people who, who openly said they wouldn't support it. Now they're becoming co-sponsors. This is great, good, good. Whatever needs to happen, let's make it happen. But yeah, there's still opposition. Listen, the fact that someone tells you to go and we need to do policy work is a form of opposition. I mean, come on, you don't, we don't need to do any more policy work. Jessica has done a fantastic job. It's crystal clear, and it's a very fair and balanced uh, uh, piece of legislation. 30 minutes, you know, sign up. I mean, it's very fair and balanced. So, you know, once again, pay attention. Pay attention to those who oppose it. And you can't say that you want our city to grow and be successful if those who have a voice continue to be silenced. Councilman Slife, I want to put a similar question to you uh, that I had asked earlier, which is, I mean, do you think that your mind would ever be changed by things that you've heard at, at public comment uh, sessions? I mean, can you think of a time when, you know, being able to hear sort of unsolicited advice has actually changed the way you thought about a, a piece of legislation? You know, to me, it's it's not even the, the goal is not necessarily to change minds as much as to illuminate. You know, we are we are a large city, a diverse city, and all 17 members of, of council, anybody in that room, you know, brings with them their own life experience um, uh, to the table. And it's, it's, to me, there's incredible value in just hearing other people talk, explain a situation you may be intimately familiar with, but explaining it from an angle that, that is new. And, and we see that in our current council meetings through the miscellaneous portion when council members will get up and speak and help educate, you know, someone like me about something else that is going on in another part of town and, and vice versa. And, and I think the value of having of bringing residents into that uh, is it expands the conversation. It helps us all learn from each other and brings us closer to being, you know, one unified group of Clevelanders instead of, you know, different people from different sides of town and different wards and, and all the baggage we can bring to any situation. And, and miscellaneous business is, is where those of us in the media typically get our sound bites from council meetings because uh, <laughs> otherwise there's not too much to quote. Um, Jessica, uh, 
could you talk me through here, uh, you know, why you'd want to propose this as a piece of legislation? I know one other idea discussed was why not change the rules of city council, which might be, you know, you wouldn't need a, a vote to do that. Uh, why take this legislative approach or why would you try to? Sure. Um, the proposal is written as legislation, um, just again, looking at best practices. I've seen a lot of legislation that addresses um, the public comment period. As I think was mentioned earlier, I think an ordinance is a little bit more longer lasting than a rule. Um, the rules of city council change, I think every four years um, with the council president. Um, and frankly, we need the council president's support to change the rules. And uh, that's not something we have right now. So instead we've approached this as an ordinance as opposed to a rule. In all likelihood, you need the council president's support to, to get a piece of legislation passed too, given the fact that it's got to go through committees. Sure, yeah, but we could, we could petition for an ordinance. You can't petition for a rule change. Well, and that's a good, that's a good point and something I wanted to get to next, which is, uh, you know, if, if this sort of traditional legislative path doesn't work here, you could petition an ordinance, you could do a charter amendment and try to get that on the ballot if you get enough signatures. Is that a possibility? It is. I'd say that's, you know, plans B and C, uh, but getting uh, council support is plan A. And as we've said time and time again, I really don't see a reason to not have 17 council members, 16 council members um, support this piece of legislation. I think public comment is just such an easy ask. Uh, and I'm continually surprised at how difficult it's proven to be to get this piece of legislation passed. What, what's been difficult about it? I, I think, um, you know, what's been difficult is just making sure that we have all of council um, in support of the piece of legislation. I think we've heard a lot of council people say that they support public comment in theory, uh, but have not been willing to engage uh, with the proposal or who have, um, you know, I think some sort of fear of public comment. Uh, I think there's just been a lot of delay so far. So I don't know what's, you know, the holdup, but clearly mm -hmm. it's not been passed yet. Uh, you know, one other question I wanted to put to you was, um, you know, how do you make sure that a public comment session is including all of the voices that, that you, you know, you want to hear from and that it's not excluding people who don't have the time or who can't afford to drive down to City Hall at 7 p.m. on a Monday night once you know we, we get back to in-person meetings? Sure, I don't think public comment is a fix-all for government uh, accountability and government transparency and government involvement. I think it's the first step, but not the last step. So I would never claim to say that public comment is going to be you know, one solution to address all of those issues. Um, one thing we have been mindful about is making sure that the public comment form uh, is in English and Spanish um, so that, you know, people who speak uh, Spanish as their first language have access to it. And also making sure that the form uh, includes a way for people to request interpretation or accommodation in order to make their comment. Um, and so we've built some of those into it, but I don't think this is, you know, a one solution for everything. I think it's just a first step. Mm -hmm. uh, Councilman Jones, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, what I at least have gathered from city council members in the past is that you already deal with, a, you know, a whole lot of input in the form of, you know, calls to your office or people trying to, you know, talk to you on social media, maybe with 
complaints about you know quality of life issues in the ward, things that they want you to try to get the city to address. Uh, you know, in your experience, do you think that people in you know the neighborhood in Cleveland feel connected to their city government and feel like it's listening to them? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Uh, I believe, and, and if I can just moonwalk real quick to a question that you said before, oh, sure. And, and that is, I'm just wondering, is it is it a fear of to hear what people need to say? I'm thinking. I'm just talking. I'm just wondering about elected officials right now. Is it a fear about wanting to hear what people say, or is it a fear of going against the establishment? I don't know. I don't know which one it is because uh, you can't look into people's heart, but it's either one of those. Um, do they fear going against the establishment who does not want to hear the voice of the people? And um, I don't, I don't know what you would be afraid of. As as as, as Councilman Slife said, we don't, we don't have intentions to be career politicians. We want to make a change, and we want to make a change right now. And I think that people feel that their voices are being heard in some cases. But it's other cases where I think what a public comment in front of everyone does is that it holds people accountable. I think that's the really good thing about it, that if a resident comes to the table and they get on that microphone for three minutes and say, hey, you know, my, my trash has not been picked up. I've called my council person. You're going to have the director of public works sitting right there. See, no one wants to be, you know, brought to um, brought and made responsible in front of a lot of people. No one likes that. So I think those type of, and, and that's what we do. As, actually, that's what we do as council members. When we get up and, and the last thing uh, someone from the administration wants is to say, listen, I've been emailing the director of so-and-so and I've yet to get a phone call back. And guess what? You will be surprised that some of the issues that we face as council members, we have some of those same issues where some members of the administration do not get back to us on simple things. I think this, the whole system in Cleveland has to be blown up and it has to be built on a foundation of equity where everyone's voices are heard, right? Where, where we are making sure that we are implementing um, the solutions to the concerns of so many people. Um, so if people say, hey, you know, you can just come to my office. No, 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 because then you have a way of not answering that phone call or, you know, clicking delete on that email. But if you come to the community, in front of the community and express it, this forces everyone to listen to it. And I want to be clear, Nick, I want to say this clearly. Anyone that opposes this very balanced piece of legislation that Jessica and the team put together just does not want to hear the voices of the people. It's, it's really simple. It's not on the fence. It's either this or it's not. I think it's a great piece of legislation. We're going to fight for it. So hopefully we don't have to go, as you said, and put it in, take it to the votes. And we, no, we're going to work really hard to get it passed through council. And I, you know, I want to add to the conversation here, got a message saying that uh, council's rules are also passed legislatively. I, maybe after this, we can kind of, you know, follow up on exactly how this works. Uh, so I, I believe looking at the time, we are soon going to go to this uh, experiment, the public comment demonstration. Uh, before we do, uh, Councilman Slife, can you give us a roadmap here for what happens next? Uh, is there a date? Is there a meeting when we think that this kind of legislation might be introduced? What can people expect to hear next? Thank you. And our goal is to get this uh, this proposed ordinance introduced as soon as possible. Uh, you know, we we have the draft. We what we're actually really doing is working with our attorneys to you know get it into format. 
after that, the legislation gets you know referred over to committees, and, and it goes through this typical legislative process. And um, you know, to, to the point earlier about what are the different paths at the top of the mountain, uh, you know, th there are some other options out there, and and just hinted at that. But I, I fall back on just the really the universal agreement that this is good government, this is good policy, and why when there's such agreement on the, the, the path to the top of the mountain, wouldn't we take the easiest path? And uh, yeah, I think that this is a moment where we can all you know, get behind a good idea and, and do something that's going to be impactful for our residents and, and not give any more of a runaround. You know, it's a, this, is, this is something that is achievable. The legislation is, is specific. It, it demonstrates that public comment can occur without us going into the wee hours of the morning, uh, you know, uncontrolled. That's not what's being proposed. And I think that when you have a good idea, it's important to run with that good idea. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, I'm told that we, we may have a little bit more time for a uh, discussion here. And so, uh, Jessica, what are you looking for as, as next steps here for this idea? Sure. Um, you know, beyond just looking at uh, getting additional council support, I've been really happy to see a couple council members like um, Councilman McCormick start to introduce public comment uh, in their committees. Uh, so that's one of the things that we're going to start to try to do is um, you know, encourage council members who chair a committee to try to uh, continue this experiment by setting up a more formal process for committee comment. Um, currently, technically, uh, residents and stakeholders are permitted to uh, address council committees, but the process for doing so is really um, different every committee. Uh, and it's really challenging, I think, for the average resident to figure out what committee they need to get to, how to reach out to the chair of the committee, how to get a response from the chair to, of the committee to make it to a meeting. Uh, so we'd like to see a couple of these committees um, start to really implement this process of having a more formal sign up, um, integrate you know, the public comment period into their committees. Mm. And, and you're saying that you think that's something that, that a committee chair could do right now? I think so, yeah. Um, well, you know, I, I did want to ask another question, and, and forgive me if it is, I don't know, a little political or cynical, but, um, you know, for Councilman Jones or Councilman Slife, this is, of course, an election year also. Do you think that is a reason why this has gained popularity right now? Because it, it might be a good issue to campaign on. Of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, but, but, but it's, it's, it's interesting because on the opposite side, if, 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 uh, if we were really smart, it would be 16 of us on point on board. But, you know, I just want people, listen, Clevelanders are smart. We're very smart, you know, and to come out of this city, you got to be tough. All right. You got to be tough. You got to be smart. And I just want us to use our minds that God has given us. We know the issue. We know why it's not passing. Maybe you don't want to talk about it. We don't want to say it because we don't want to put people on blast. But there is a group of people who don't want to hear the voices of the people. These are the same people who continue to pick corporations over community. These are the same individuals that continue to pick corporations over people. I'm gonna say it again. These are the same individuals who continue to hear the voices of corporations and not <clears throat> the voices of the people. They're the same people. And we just have to call it how it is. And these are the same individuals that standing in the way of progress. We know who they are. You know who they are. They continue to block it. 
Come on. What do you mean send it to policy? And we, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? We, we know the problem. The problem is that people want to speak. 30 minutes is not a problem. And as, as, as Councilman Slife said, what I think was spot on, we're not going to be here. But don't we want a city where everyone feels that their voice are being, is being heard? Of course we do. Or if not, people are going to continue to come into council meetings. They're going to protest. They're going to be loud. Right. They're going to be arrested because in city council, you know, you can't talk and you can't do certain things in city council meeting. So we're putting our our people in a, in a situation that's that's very harmful. If we just let them speak, if we just let the people speak, then I, then the people will begin to believe that and, and should believe that they are a part of the progress of the city. We know the problem. We know who the problem is. Uh, and, and we just got to call it out. Well, uh, this brings us to the end of uh, the panel discussion part of, of today's session. So we're now going to move over into this mock public comment demonstration. And uh, for this experiment, Jessica Trevisano will be our president pro tem for the rest of the meeting here. So, uh, Madam President, I, I yield the floor to you. Thank you, Nick. Uh, and thanks to Councilman Slife and Councilman Bashir Jones for joining us today. Uh, I'm incredibly grateful for both of your support and for the support of the other seven council members uh, who are agreeing to co-sponsor this legislation. Uh, it's an honor to preside over this mock public comment demonstration today. Uh, the individuals featured in today's mock public comment demonstration signed up ahead of time in order to make their comment. Um, you'll hear comments on matters that concern the legislative, administrative, and or public affairs of the city of Cleveland. Uh, each person has up to three minutes to share their comment, and we will be keeping time to ensure that each individual keeps their comments uh, in, within that three-minute window. Uh, and the first up is uh, Terry McNeil. So Terry, you have the floor for the next three minutes. Like we said, this is an experiment. So <laughs> let's see, I know Terry was here. Terry, the floor is yours. Hello. Um, I would like to, I would like to start off by saying um, I think there should be a heavy investment in public works. Uh, public works needs to be reimagined. Public works, the way it is now, is too big for one individual to be director. Uh, the, the biggest problems we have are uh, the conditions of the streets, uh, the conditions of vacant lots, and the absence of a recycling program. All three of these issues can be, should be put in a, in a separate division under recycling because um, we can recycle the asphalt that is currently on our roads. It can be recycled on the spot and put back down and drivers can drive on it 15 minutes later. Uh, this, the, the same issue with the tires, the tires all over the city. We're paying over a half a million dollars for somebody to truck tires uh, from point A to a special landfill when we should be recycling those tires 
and turn them into several different products that can be sold. Uh, we could, as far as the vacant lots go, uh, they're a mess. We, the, the vacant lots should all have amazing lawns and all of the trees should be trimmed every year. And um, the maintenance should start in March. When, you, when you're talking about cool season grass, you can start cutting cool season grass in the middle of March. Um, now, back on the recycling uh, tip, uh, th there's so many different ways of so many different ways of recycling, and uh, I think we're Cleveland is missing the boat on the recycling. We don't have a recycling center in Northeast Ohio. The city of Cleveland should partner with Cuyahoga County to create a massive recycling center in Northeast Ohio to service Northeast Ohio and other communities around Northeast Ohio. Um, the, the CARES Act money that's coming, it, there, should be, there should be meetings on putting together a brain trust full of people who know logistics. And uh, these people that know logistics should put together a plan on how to spend that money and how to spend it wisely. Um, we have to work smarter and not harder. Um, the city of Cleveland needs to start investing in technology, specific, specifically robotics. Um, people think that robotics is gonna, robotics replaces workers, and that's not the case. Robotics helps workers instead of having eight people. Thank you, Terry, your time is up. Our next commenter is Courtney, K Courtney Kishbach. Courtney, the floor is yours for the next three minutes. Hi everyone, my name is Courtney Kishba. I'm a resident of Ohio City and I work in economic development. And my question or comment has to do with two sets of non-tax funding sources for the city. So I guess my first question is how are city council members preparing for the rush of federal funding coming? Um, and I'm not just talking about what's allocated to Cleveland via the American Rescue Plan, but also for competitive funding as well in areas like broadband or environmental remediation, especially for um, lead paint and brownfields. And while city council member offices wouldn't be the direct applicants, there's still a really good role for them as conveners, um, especially for organizations in their wards that would qualify. Um, the second kind of funding source I wanted to comment on is how can our city government better apply for private grant sources? So for example, organizations like Next Cities and Bloomberg Cities regularly put out grants ranging from 5K to streetscape improvement, um, all the way up to hundreds of thousands for innovative accessibility projects. Um, and so both types of these funding opportunities are tailor-made for places like Cleveland. Um, and, and these organizations want to give funding to cities like Cleveland. And I don't want us to miss out on them, especially the federal funding because it's a once in a generation investment. I doubt I'll see it again in my lifetime. Um, and while the city of Cleveland wouldn't be the main applicant, they would often be required to submit a letter of support and often be a good partner to those who'd be carrying out the work, especially for like lead paint and environmental, as I mentioned before. And so I just wanted to um, make the comment of how can we start making this a priority within our city government? Um, what offices need to be responsible for coordination? Um, how can we start thinking about this? Because when money's flowing, it's gonna flow fast. Um, but that's all, so I yield the rest of my time. <laughs> Great, thank you, Courtney, for your comment. Our next commenter is Ross DeBello. Ross, the floor is yours. 
Hi there. Uh, thank you, Jessica, for all your work. Uh, my name is Ross DeBello. I live in West Park. Um, and I believe the reason that we are finally, finally here is ha you know, having this will of us enacted when we all agree on public comment is for one reason and one reason alone. Uh, it's the same reason both presidential candidates promised us $2,000 checks before, the no before November, um, the upcoming uncertain elections, uh, the democratic process of having to earn our votes. Um, in election years where uncertainty reigns, you know, governments are far more likely to be kind to those they serve. They're far more likely, whether they think it's right or wrong, just to do what we want. Um, it's not enough that we've always had a super majority of us uh, wanting public comment. No, it, it's got to be close to voting time. Because uh, as we know in Cleveland, uh, an entrenched establishment means that nobody is threatened by change. Um, people here rule for three or four decades and never vote or budget the way that their constituents demand. Um, so on any issue, uh, if we want Burke to look like Edgewater, if we want criminal justice reform, if we don't want to be number one in the nation in poverty, if we don't want the Q deal or these other handouts as they're currently constructed, if we want immediate lead paint remediation, uh, if we want to pay $7 million of our taxes towards recycling, as opposed to just the facade of a recycling truck, um, if we ever want issues where we have a super majority of us in agreement to pass, we have to have a functioning democracy instead of a machine entrenchment. Um, therefore, we need term limits, just like the president has. We need significant campaign finance reform to create government representative of real Clevelanders. Uh, we need to end this machine appointment process and we need petition initiative reform. Uh, if we get this type of responsiveness out of our representatives consistently, not just a few months before an uncertain election, we can finally start heading in the right direction for the entire city. Uh, we can finally start turning our population loss into prosperity. We, but we have to put Clevelanders back in charge of Cleveland. We can't just win one common sense thing like public comment. We gotta win on big issue after big issue after big issue to attack our humanitarian problems, to make our tax dollars work for us. So thank you to all the activists that did this thing. Let's work harder on the next thing. Thank you, Ross, for your comment. Our next commenter is Rebecca Moore. Rebecca, you have the floor for three minutes. And of course, I didn't unmute myself. Thank you, Jessica. My name is Rebecca Moore. I'm here as a resident of Cleveland and as an attorney who has worked for years to better protect Cleveland's children by fighting for lead safe housing in our city. I'm going to speak today about the $541 million that Cleveland is about to receive through President Biden's American Rescue Plan. I believe that city council should use a portion of that money to support the 2019 law to make Cleveland's rental properties lead safe. I'm passionate about this work because in 2017, while acting as a lawyer in a lawsuit against the city of Cleveland, I received a list of hundreds of homes in our city that had unremediated lead hazards that had previously poisoned children. I was sitting in my office and I'll never forget it, reading the list that had been sent over to me because the name of my own street in Slavic Village jumped out at me. 
And I soon realized that the house number was almost exactly my house number. It was the house with the blue porch right across the street from where I'm sitting right now. There were lead hazards in that home that hadn't been fixed, the but the landlord had been able to rent the property to another family with twin one-year-old boys. Stories like what happened on my, my street are far too common. 90% of Cleveland's homes were built in 1978, meaning um, they most likely have lead hazards that need to be safely contained. And right now that safe containment is not happening. We know that 25% of Cleveland's kindergartners have at least one elevated blood lead level test. For years, Cleveland was falling behind our peer cities in managing this crisis. Thankfully in 2019, we passed a strong lead safe housing bill that I'm proud of. And in 2021, we're now in the process of implementing it. I've been impressed with the continued work of the groups pushing to implement the law and putting in structures like the Lead Safe Housing Resource Center. But right now, the existing program has raised only $35 million in funding to help landlords fix up their properties. And while that's absolutely an accomplishment, we know that much more is needed and we knew that more was needed when we passed the law. The $541 million coming to Cleveland under the American Rescue Plan presents a unique opportunity to inject needed resources into the implementation of this law. For instance, the city of Cleveland could use only a fraction of this money, $20 million, and provide vouchers for lead clearance exams for every single rental property in the city. If we set aside $100 million of our $541 million, we'll be able to cover the entire expected cost of the program. I want to thank everybody for their time and for the opportunity to share this, uh, to share my story and why I believe we need to use $541 million, or at least part of it, to help support lead safe housing in Cleveland. Thank you. Thank you, Rebecca, for your comment. Diane Morgan, you're our next commenter. Diane, you have the floor for the next three minutes. Thank you very much. Um, I appreciate this opportunity to speak. And uh, I'd like to address the uh, funding that's coming in from the American Rescue Act. Um, uh, what I'd like to address is um, an effort to um, look at the underlying issues of poverty uh, that affects everything in our city from safety and crime to homelessness. Um, we need to start creating programs that will lift people out of poverty, invest in small businesses that will create jobs at a $15 um, minimum wage at the minimum and provide job training for um, in the trades for and apprenticeships for high schoolers that are graduating and also re-entering from um, incarceration. In addition, uh, one of the things that we need to do is end tax abatements in neighborhoods that are doing well, like the communities on the west side of Cleveland. And we need to take um, some of the stimulus to develop mixed use housing along commercial corridors in east side communities that are struggling um, economically and uh, could really use that help. And uh, so those are some of the things that I would like to see us invest in with the, the money that's coming in. And with that, I'd like to yield my time. Thank you, Diane. Our next commenter is Xinyuan Sui. Xinyuan, the floor is yours for the next three minutes. Um, Assalamu alaikum, everyone. I'm Xinyuan Cui, a community organizer in Asia Town. I want to ask the city to address the root causes of race-based violence and make sure that COVID-related funding is accessible to immigrants and undocumented communities. 
I hope the essential workers, small business owners, and the people who are limited English profession and who don't have citizenship or paper documentation in our AAPI community are no longer invisible. We are left behind and struggling as we live with barriers in our everyday life without in languages, resources, and support. Although there are community programs and services, they are not accessible or translated in time. I often hear our Asia Tongue residents say, it seems there are resources for me, but because of the language barriers, I can't access them. If I can't access these resources, then who are these for? With the COVID Relief Fund, I hope our city can take the opportunity to protect our APIs and all communities of color. Investing in law enforcement can't prevent mass shooting in Atlanta and in Annapolis from happening here in Cleveland. History has shown the traditional passive reaction can protect us. Instead, we need investment for long-term safety and recovery in our community. In Asia Town, our kids don't have safe playground. Our seniors are afraid of walking outside. Without legal support, our residents can't apply for driver's license, so we have to rely on public transportation. However, the design of bus routes and stops is not convenient for us. For now, the buses are not safe for people who look, like, who look like us. And I was personally blamed for COVID. We are writing an RTA. A woman who was, aware, who was not wearing a mask screamed at me, say, don't walk over. There were people on the bus, but no one stood for me. So we need funding for best gender intervention training and the in-languages hate incident report hotlines outside of law enforcement. We need funding for culturally competent mental health and victim assistance services. We need more streetlights. We need more parks. We need accessible support for our residents who don't have documentation and are scared of asking for help. So I want to ask our city to invest in building community infrastructure and access to in-language resources as we try to live our lives here to recover and heal from the twin pandemics of COVID-19 and systematic racism. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Our last commenter for our mock public comment demonstration is Camila Villa. Sorry about your name, Camila Villa. You have the floor for the next three minutes. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Um, my name is Camila Villa. I'm a resident of uh, Ward 15 of Cleveland, and I'm a uh, staff rep and organizer with the Service Employees International Union Local One, um, the janitors union here in Cleveland. Um, I am. Uh, what I'd like to address today is the ways in which um, council uh, and our government here in Cleveland uses public funds uh, in ways that often undermine um, good paying jobs for Cleveland residents, um, both in terms of the uh, rewarding of developers um, who refuse to make commitments to uh, create, create good jobs for Clevelanders and to maintain hard fought standards that union janitors have, uh, have won over decades in the city. Um, we've seen an, an emerging pattern of council uh, giving millions of dollars of, of development grants and loans to uh, companies who refuse to make commitments to the people who will be serving their buildings in the long term. Um, Related council also uh, has been approving leases to uh, for for city departments to property owners who have um, 
engaged in blatant and outright union busting. Um, this is a deep concern. The majority of Cleveland's janitors live in the city. The majority are women. The majority are black. And those that aren't black are gen usually Latino. Um, so the, for a city to, the city council has declared racism a public health crisis, um, which we applauded and we agree with, but it really is important that council begins to put its money where its mouth is. Um, and want to acknowledge that there are members of council, including those leading this forum who have stood up for janitors and other low income workers in Cleveland. Um, unfortunately, you know, some, uh, often our, our voices go unheard. Now, <clears throat> um, there's also an issue where council will pick winners and losers in terms of what unions they'll support. They're frequently papering over um, their decision to support union busting contractors by saying, well, they use the building trades. That's great. Building trades should be union. No one should be building in Cleveland non-union. But when it comes to who's cleaning those buildings, who's securing those buildings, who's doing the food service in those buildings, if if the if the developers are using the primarily white, primarily suburban contractors um, for for property uh, for for building their properties, but not using it for um, for the the primarily black, primarily urban, primarily low-income people. Who, to have a right to have a union in their buildings, then, then this is hollow and it's a, not a true commitment to racial justice. I also wanna add that the lack of public comment creates an inherent hostility between the working people of Cleveland and our government. Um, Thank you, Camila, that was the end of your time. Well, and that brings us to the end of our mock public comment demonstration. Uh, it's been a true honor to preside over this uh, initial mock public comment demonstration. Um, thank you to everyone who took the time to share your comments. I'm gonna uh, kick it back over to Nick uh, so we can do just sort of a follow-up on what we just experienced. I'm muted. No, I'm not. Thank you very much, Jessica. I appreciate uh, you you uh, uh, chairing that session. Uh, we have just a few minutes left here before we reach our hour mark. I was interested in just getting some initial reactions uh, from uh, folks here. Uh, Councilman Slife, uh, I wanted to go to you first. Um, you know, could you reflect on what you heard here? I mean, do you think this is uh, different or unique uh, from what you hear from from residents in in you know your your daily you know councilman duties? Certainly. And, and thank you to all the uh, participants. Uh, everybody brought with them clearly a passion and from very different areas, very different topics. And it was uh, uh, very enlightening to hear each of them. And, and you know, right there at the end, uh, Mr. Villa was right that, you know, one of one of the justifications for public comment is to uh, break down this perceived or real barrier between the residents and the council itself. Uh, but you know, to, to be able to hear about issues as diverse as you know uh, the ins and outs of a city department, and uh, all the way up to you know the the, the real um, you know how problematic and awful you know racism is in our society. It's it's a lot of food for thought, and and I I know that I speak for myself as well as probably other council members when you know my brain's always churning, and I'm always thinking of what's the next thing to do, and to be able to hear people talk um, helps 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 me in that, you know, I wrote down uh, Courtney Kishba's name. Uh, I'm also an economic development professional, and it'd be great to follow up with her on some of her suggestions. So I, I thought it was fascinating to hear, and I really appreciate the City Club hosting this forum today. Uh, Councilman Jones, your thoughts? 
first and foremost, once again, thank you all so much for giving me the opportunity to be here. I want to say thank you to Jenny Spencer, who's a rock star, who just joined council, not even maybe three, four months, and she's already making waves. I thank her so much. I want everyone to know that the power is with the people. I, I thoroughly enjoyed listening to what people say, said, but I want you to know that power should not be used to silence. Power should be used to empower. And I can tell you that some of the same concerns that you have in not being heard, many members of council feel the same way. Listen, it doesn't matter if we disagree. We're not gonna always agree. Matter of fact, if everyone in the room agrees, somebody's lying. So we have to disagree because our differences is what makes our city amazing. Our differences is what makes us stronger. But remember those who have not been standing with the people as we approach election time. Our vote is our voice. And I can guarantee you the direction that we're going, we won't continue to go that way because then we have to blow this thing up and put leadership in place that listens to the people. $541 million is on the way and we're still, as council members, we're still trying to figure out what's happening. We are, we don't even have, if my council colleagues are, 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 are truthful, they will tell you that we are confused as well as what is happening with this money. And we will never get this chance again. We're talking about declaring racism a public health crisis, but that's just a piece of paper if there's no implementation behind it. If there's no implementation behind it. How do we make sure that every dollar that is spent from $541 million is spent in a way of equity? How do we make sure that our workers and city workers are being taken care of? How do we make sure the voices of the people are taken care of? How do we make sure that even the consultants that we bring in, the city is a $1.8 billion corporation, but we, we, we give less than 7% of the contracts to minority companies. This is a major problem. And it won't change until the people want it to change. And I think that the time is now. I believe that. Uh, well, thank you very much uh, to, to all of our panelists and also to all the folks who joined us for this public comment session, this uh, this experiment and what it would look like. I uh, really appreciate everyone uh, making the time this afternoon. Uh, we were joined today by Bashir Jones, Cleveland City Councilman for Ward 7, Charles Slife, Cleveland City Councilman for Ward 17, Jessica Trevisano, a resident of Ward 3 and author of the proposed public comment ordinance, as well as a number of City of Cleveland residents who provided public comment. Thank you again for all being here today. Today's forum is presented in collaboration with Clevelanders for Public Comment. All of City Club's virtual forums are presented for free every week thanks to generous support from Bank of America, Key Bank, the Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District, and PNC. You can join them in supporting the City Club's mission by making a contribution online or becoming a member at cityclub.org. I'm Nick Castell. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our forum is now adjourned.